0: Hello, friends. This is the first of a series of audiobooks detailing the mysterious fate of Otto Lozer. It's called Something Borsuch Said by Anton Matins and runs to 26 episodes. For more information, check out migrationbooks.com. Chapter 1 Some of the outfits were so startling they gave the occasion added momentum. The women mostly, she thought. A few among them were doing their best to be conspicuous, sensationalizing themselves. There were circus clowns and music hall villains, a wandering alien with a silver suit and flashing antenna on her head, and all kinds of animals in the crowd. One creature with wings attached to her arms Pink and blue, and a funny red beak strapped over her nose, seemed set to fly the whole thirteen miles. Later she saw three newcomers in full head-to-toe bear outfits. They were carrying empty bowls and wooden spoons. Funny gag, but they'll never make it to the finish, she thought. They'll fry in those outfits. She surged with the rest across the grass, trying not to stare but allocating prizes in her head to those who dared to make fun of it all. The crazy bird should get a ribbon, she decided. The three bears should get a silver cup. Anyone willing to turn this madness on its head, she thought, really ought to get some recognition for their troubles. In the queues for toilets, she considered leaving. A twenty-minute wait at a row of faded cubicles, lined up under some chestnuts, almost broke her resolve. There were hundreds like her, like nervous ducks queuing. They made her wish she'd stayed at home. Right behind the toilets, the banks of the Serpentine, as serene as it was English, distracted her for a moment. What made her look was the millions of fine ripples catching the light, and a swan, not quite in the middle, but near enough to be perfect. Later she stood in the queue for bibs, She continued to stare at the ones who'd made the effort to be outlandish. Quite a few had turned up with the same joke in mind, she realized. It was an inevitable consequence of so many competitors converging from all over London. She'd counted a dozen attempts at silly birds and other kinds of animals. There were two cavemen, and now there was a third, just ahead of her, a man with a beard and a club and tight-fitting furs around his loins and over the tops of his running shoes. There were at least half a dozen brides, like too much salt in the soup, she thought. Small clusters of three or four practiced jogging nearby, each with a bouquet and lace veils, and their flowing silvery silks already scuffed at the hems, with their running shoes poking out as they limbered up. It was going to be a muggy day, She was happy to be in shorts and a plain white vest. The majority of runners wore much the same thing, tight to their bodies, there to run, not to ham it up. She began to think of herself as part of the sensible masses, the ones who made it easy for exceptions to break the rule. She was a single piece in the mosaic, an off-white tile, somewhere on the edge of the picture, only really obvious if it goes missing. She felt her running shoes were scruffy looking, not like other people's. She'd borrowed an old pair from her daughter. Everyone else seemed to have brightly colored, striped, just bought running shoes. It was discouraging to see so many thousands of smartly clad feet streaming out of Knightsbridge, crossing the traffic into the park, pulsing into the queues to get their yellow bibs with numbers on, bibs they would all be obliged to wear or risk disqualification. The man behind the counter looked up, too pressurized to smile. She sighed inside. She knew she would have to raise her voice now. My name is Teresa Heller, she said. It felt like an imposition saying it. The man seemed so overwrought, the last thing he needed was another name. He looked away to his list. Pages and pages of names skimming through to find the H's while the squeeze around her tightened. It was more than uncomfortable. She could feel the breath of many and all the nearby voices trying to make themselves heard over the mash, shouting their own names. Someone yelled, I'm Marie Parkinson, a voice like a bell. Stephen Pickard said he wasn't on the list, but he wanted to run anyway and was prepared to make a contribution. And someone called Raphael. It sounded like he was saying Raphael Stock, but the surname was too soft to be intelligible. Something strange happened waiting in the queue for Bibbs. It was a momentary thing, but she was shaken by the idea that she wasn't Teresa Heller at all. Her name, her way of thinking, her whole life, none of it had significance in the blind crush she was in. Subjected to those conditions, she hardly knew herself. She couldn't wait to get away and start running. The table was a barrier. In the stillness behind it, half a dozen race officials worked mechanically, with precise movements— checking names against donations, and giving the happy entrants their yellow bibs with numbers on. The man who couldn't smile handed Teresa hers, and she became 9139. She mouthed the words, thank you, but he'd glanced away, already impatient to get on to the next name. It was someone called Matthew Shanneth, who automatically began to spell it. Away from the bib's table, the air was softer, and the gathering numbers less of an ordeal. She put her number on and felt glad at the bright splash of color it made. She spotted an alien trying to wrestle her bib on, getting it caught in the flashing ends of her antenna. A nearby earthling offered to help. As she weaved her way towards the start line, she fanned her arms, twisting her body right and left. She did a quick on-the-spot jog. Others had found space enough to do things like leg stretches, bending over to touch their toes. A couple of muscle men were doing push-ups. She saw beads of sweat forming along the tendons at the back of their necks and moved on quickly, slightly put out, as if she could taste the salt. That's when Camilla came into view. She was walking away from the starting positions for some reason, moving against the flow, like a sleepwalker. Teresa had to change course to get closer to her. She wondered what her friend was up to, heading away from the long procession of keen runners, taking pole positions. Camilla had her yellow bib on, but there were so many heads and bodies between them, Teresa couldn't make out what the number was. They'd missed each other earlier. They were supposed to have journeyed across town together. Teresa had waited patiently at the tube station until she thought she could wait no longer and had made the trip alone, painfully self-conscious in her jogging things. With her long legs and thin, bare arms, she was a lot more self-aware than she would have been with Camilla there, until she got on to the Piccadilly line, and it didn't matter anymore, because the train was half full with rudders who didn't seem to care what they looked like. As if she could sense somebody coming after her, Camilla turned and locked eyes in Teresa's direction. And as if that was what was supposed to have happened, Teresa called out over the heads of others, ''Where did you get to?'' Camilla heard Teresa's voice before she could tell who it was. She kept searching until the confusion on her face softened towards recognition, then a bright, welcoming smile. ''Oh, there you are,'' she said. She laughed as Teresa caught up with her, and the sensations of friendship warned them both. Both had been feeling threatened and lost in the crowd. "'I've been looking for you everywhere,' Camilla began, speaking too loud and too fast, still excited at having met coincidentally. It didn't seem strange to either of them that they should have come across each other in such a vast parade.' It's exactly what they'd hoped for, to be drawn magically together like this. For Teresa, never entirely confident, just being with someone she knew helped to confirm who she was again. What a turnout, she said. But her tone was dismissive now, in the hope of shrugging off the effects of so many thousands. Camilla cringed. I didn't make it on time. Teresa wasn't even going to mention it. That's okay. I overslept, Camilla explained. I still haven't woken up. Teresa nodded. Where's David? She linked her arm into Camilla's, feeling much more like herself again. I don't think he's coming, Camilla said. She looked away. Look at that one. She pointed at a cross between a runner and a cartoon. Her laugh was brash and mocking. They were looking at a ruddy-faced mask with huge lips and realistic wispy nylon lengths floating around his pate. He had a red tie on over his US flag vest and shorts. He'll never win the race, Camilla said. There was something strange about her manner, but they were caught in a new thrust towards the start line. Before Teresa could ask if anything was wrong, Camilla had swung around and was saying, Stop shoving, will you? at almost everyone. Blank faces, no replies. Then back to Teresa. I mean, there's no need to shove, is there? The petulance made Camilla pretty. Just over forty, with two teenage sons and fine lines around her brown eyes and silver strands in her dark hair but nothing sagging yet Camilla still had plenty of admirers when she hit little extremes such as petulance or surprise she turned into the pretty tomboy she'd always been Teresa enjoyed her outburst if only because it was so familiar never mind them she said you're here now she linked arms again playfully but it was also an imperative done against an unconscious idea she sometimes had that the world could fall apart at any moment. Teresa often felt as if something wasn't quite right and one day she would discover what it is and then she'd be lost in a place she knew but wouldn't be able to recognize. Even though she had little to fear something like fear could worm through Teresa's mind all of a sudden There was no question that Barry was a fine man, rock-solid in his way, and the kids were in good private education. They had a fabulous house, a short walk from the heath. She knew it was wrong to think of the bad things that could happen, and chastised herself for it. She clutched Camilla's arm tighter, reassured by her friend's laughter. They started poking fun at themselves. "'I'll never make it to the finish,' Teresa said. I haven't run since I was 15. Camilla shrieked. You wait. I'll go down after 50 yards. Someone will have to call an ambulance. They laughed, and Camilla milted. I don't know how I let myself get dragged into this. Teresa was literally dragging her onto the track where so many others were already waiting in rows, eager to sprint. A kind of jumpy, racehorse feel in the thick of it that heightened their excitement. Teresa didn't mind the feeling of being trapped now, so long as she was trapped with a friend. In short, there was nothing wrong, apart from everything that might conceivably go wrong. Their friendship was rock solid. Camilla was married to David, who worked in banking, just like Barry. Camilla and David had been married 18 years and had lived on the same street as Teresa and Barry for 10. Camilla and David had the best relationship of anyone Teresa could think of. A happy-go-lucky, nothing too holy, daily sending up of life that their boys had learned to emulate and were even better at. The implacable confidence of Camilla Bindon might have emanated from David, who was a constant show-off about having been to Eton Teresa enjoyed David's habit of asking probing questions and watching his victims pale, and the way Camilla told everyone to ignore him. Their influence had been the foundation of many comfortable years. Even Barry went along with it, although Barry was a far more serious man, less given to light ridicule, and as such, a sitting duck for David. Camilla pointed at a group of giggling brides and stuck her finger down her throat. Whatever she did, Teresa had to laugh. They're not the best ones, Teresa said, recovering. I saw the three bears milling around, and there's a few cavemen about. Camilla asked, Is Barry coming? Teresa shook her head. He went into work at seven this morning. God help us! They both rolled their eyes. He did pack his running things, Teresa said. He told me he'd be here, but you know Barry. Camilla seemed to wince. She did an imitation of Barry's voice. A dry-as-sticks, virtually monotone, soft American wheeze. Honey, have we got any pickles in the pantry? Leave him alone, Teresa said. But she nudged Camilla, wanting more. Where's my pipe, Camilla wheezed. I've misplaced my pipe. An elderly man climbed onto the platform at the start line. He was dowdy in a crumpled black three-piece. His hair was grey and pink. He had spectacles on that made him look like a Latin professor. He could have been peering into a book, except he was fiddling with a pistol, checking it was loaded. It looked funny, but Camilla became agitated watching him. Come on! Just pull the trigger and say bang, she yelled. What's wrong with him? Theresa was taking deep breaths, inhaling through her nose, sneaking looks at others as she prepared mentally for her grueling run. Around her were some real runners. They were the sinewy, muscular ones, very quiet, alone and focused on the race through the park. One black girl, with blue-black skin, young and thin, her long hair and strands of beads tied back, looked beautiful as she prepared herself. It was the will in her eyes the steadiness of her lips that brought Teresa up. She immediately regretted entering herself with this thing, getting her friends to enter too and all because she felt like doing something good with her life. She consoled herself that at least Barry was unlikely to come and it didn't seem as if David was coming either. Shaking herself loose from Camilla she asked, Did you say David wasn't coming? Camilla glanced down then up again. Her lips tightened, her eyes widened. She wasn't going to mention anything, but she did it anyway. We're getting a divorce, she said. We decided this morning. There was a silence that no other sound could penetrate. Everyone else was suddenly gone. It was so much of a shock, even the leaves on the trees stopped rustling. The event they were taking part in may as well have been an illusion, a snap of the fingers, and it was gone. It was all part of an experience Teresa would recall again and again, just her and her dear friend Camilla, and how from that moment on Camilla began to fade. The official raised his starting pistol and fired into the sky. It sent a jolt through the thousands around them, Everyone took their first thumping strides, and now there was no way out. Teresa made noises of descent, but she had to move with the rest, flopping rather than running, letting her arms dangle, but having to rush forward anyway. She found it absurd that all of a sudden she was being made to run. Camilla had slipped ahead. Her muscles were flexed and her mouth was open, taking deep breaths. She looked more determined to see it through. She called over her shoulder, I'll talk to you later. Meaning, when the running was over. When they had time to look back on their lives and make what they could of this new upheaval. Teresa was sure she wouldn't get to the finish. It was all too absurd. I can't do this, she thought. Not now. Not ever. Her feelings were sharpened when one of the many brides fell over her silly dress and lost her bouquet. Others passing made half-hearted attempts to help the bride up, all empty gestures. Just about everyone trampled her flowers as they went.